empower him to speak, Lord, to us, and that, that you would break, Lord, any uh, residual resistances in us to, to abandoning our hearts to you, Lord, that you would speak to us, you would challenge us, call us forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, just a couple things as we kind of get going. Um, <clears throat> oh, well, I like to listen to what uh, goes on in the service and try to, to see if, if there are any, any tie-ins or any things that, that really strike me about what is said prior to being able to speak. Uh, just one thing, um, I don't know how many of you know the Irish language that well, because the translation for troubles is urban warfare. Okay, I know a number, actually two, uh, gentlemen who uh, were, actually, were members of what used to be called the Royal Ulster Constabulary, who retired over here. I met them in Surrey Vineyard. And when you talk to them of the troubles, you find out how the level, what level of violence there was. Not only violence between the IRA and the forces in Northern Ireland that were against them, but also English against Irish, Irish against Irish, all sorts of violence. The other thing that really struck me today is this, is that while we enjoy a certain level of peace, in other words, that we are not under the threat of physical harm because we come and worship, it does not mean that worship is not obstructed here or that it doesn't have a foe. It does. Okay? So, a couple of things I'm going to do today is, one, find out where that, uh, yes, the, uh, that one. Thanks, Peter. A couple of things, I'm going to ask, ask you some questions to, to get us all thinking. The first one is this, is how many of you are f- familiar with the concept that it is, it is easier to obtain forgiveness than permission? How many of you, are you well aware of that? Okay, Gordy, you have to forgive me. I'm asking your forgiveness. <laughs> okay. Now, um, what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in this hypothetical position. Gordy comes to you and he says to you, in one month's time, or give yourself whatever time you think you need, I want you to design a morning worship service. Okay? What would it look like? You know, we all think of, of worship. And what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind in terms of your experience that you have had here this morning? What would you add? What would you delete? Um, what would it look like physically? Okay? Now, when you have your master plan, let Gordy know about it. Okay? <laughs> so, but I want to ask you a couple questions if I can again figure out how to use this guy. There we go. Do you agree or disagree? Worship is more a matter of substance than of form. In other words, it's more about what what the internal attitude of your heart and mind is rather than the external environment in which you are or find yourself. It's more about the internal condition of your heart and mind than it is about the form of the whether or not we uh, kneel when we pray, whether or not we make certain signs 
whether or not we don't, whether or not we have flags or we don't have flags in some cases, whether or not we have a, a uh, well, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't put it that way, whether or not our order of service is written down and we follow it, or whether or not it's just everybody knows who is in the know and designs the worship service, we still have a form, okay? But do you agree or disagree? Do you agree or disagree that this isn't working? There. Worship embraces what we do in life, not just what we do in the formal place of worship. In other words, we have what we call a worship service here. But is worship, is Christian worship contained within what we do here on Sunday morning? Okay. Now, this is a tough one. Being blessed is of secondary importance to God being exalted. Okay. Now, in the vineyard, this is getting close to sacred ground. Boy, how many of us have been to conferences where we expected to get healing, to get direction, to get a word about our, my ministry? Right? It's not about that, is it? Now, what about this one? Oh! <laughs> oh, that came out well. I uh, now realize I don't have the copy of this that I wanted. Worship is the church's ultimate priority. It's not public relations. It's not recreation. It's not self-improvement. It's not social justice. It's not boosting our attendance figures or meeting our financial goals. It's about worshiping God. Okay. Think about these passages. And I'll let you know right now, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture to you. And if you think there's a lot here, you should have seen it when I first started and how I cut down. Okay, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Now, how many of you recognize, obviously Jesus is speaking this to whom? To the woman at the well, a Samaritan. For the religious establishment of, of, of that time, she was an outcast. And yet Jesus is telling her one of the most significant things about Christian worship that he says. In fact, later on in chapter 6, when another really difficult passage, he tells them that the flesh counts for nothing. What we see, the form, and what what we have here. It doesn't count for anything. It's the spirit that is of vital importance. And we need to hear that when we think about Christian worship. And I want to back up again a bit more and just tell you this. Gordy is absolutely right. Evangelism is predicated upon us knowing who we worship and why we worship. Because evangelism essentially is a, an alliteration. It's a it's a direct alliteration of the Greek word into English in a way that we can pronounce it, which means good news. Well, what is the good news? See, if we don't know what the content of the word is, how can we ever tell anybody about it? And the good news is the fact that God has revealed himself in Jesus, isn't it? So, 1 Samuel 15, getting back to 
uh, those statements I asked you to agree or disagree. Look at this one. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Okay. In other words, is the form of our worship more important than us listening to God? Us being obedient as a community and as individuals? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. I find this one really convicting. Because I know that I do. I think that I'm worshiping God. And it's, it's very, it's, it's almost uncanny that the worship music that I like is the kind that I think God likes. I can't figure that one out. Except for the fact that maybe I need to listen more to him. Maybe I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong part of worship. Maybe I shouldn't be so uptight if I hear a different form of music. And I can remember years ago going to a service out in the valley where all the worship music was in country style. I had a difficult time, I have to tell you. <laughs> a very difficult... I mean, I can handle a lot of forms of music, and there are about two that really get me. Country is one of them, and opera is the other. <laughs> so, you know, anything else I can handle. But, but why, you know? Is that the most important thing about worship? I don't think so. Okay? Now... Look at this one. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the other thing about worship that I think we really need to hear. Is that we need to get focused on who God is. That will bring with it comfort, joy, provision, protection. All the things we heard people thanking God for today. But it will also bring with it and if it doesn't, we don't know God. Fear. Because when you are standing before the God of the universe who created everything, if you do not tremble, there is something wrong with you. Or you have not met the God of the universe. No. Why did the demon shriek out? He was afraid. Or it was afraid, or she was afraid. I don't know what politically correct, how we describe demons these days. You know? It. I'll leave it at that. Okay? There was a certain sense of fear because that being knew who was there. Right? The demons could identify, you know, that's a funny thing. In the New Testament, the beings that most consistently identify who Jesus is are demonic spirits. They know it's the son of the living God, and, and they are in the presence of someone who can control them and command them, and they must obey. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, let's try to move on. I urge you, we've read this one, or this one was mentioned earlier. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay? 
The renewing of your mind. Very interesting. That whatever the form of worship, like here what we do this morning, it mixes um, styles, if you like. We have a vocal uh, or verbal expression of what worship is in preaching. But we had a musical expression of it. And did you notice in the musical expression of it, there were statements about who God was, about what he did, and about our response to that of thanks and appreciation? It's all worship. It's in different forms. So that together, we are attempting to teach ourselves. We are attempting to have our minds renewed so that we can become living sacrifices. Now, worship, a continual battle. Now, I hope you still have in mind what you would think of as the, your ultimate worship service. What would you include? What you wouldn't include? Please keep that in mind because we're going to be looking now at a couple of things that I think are foundational for a worship service, for recognizing who it is that we worship and what we do. And then we're going to look at what I would call a conversation about worship. Um, I'll leave it at that for right now. Now, why I think it is a continual battle, because if the Old Testament and the apocalyptic writing in the New Testament about what's going to happen in the future is any indication, and if you even a cursory reading, you know that the number one thing that God addresses in the Old Testament and in the New is false worship. Okay? So, As fallen creatures, that's you and me, it is one of humanity's most basic and fundamental inclinations to worship something or someone other than the true God. If I were to ask you, what is the opposite of worship? What would you say? Exactly. You know, there are theists and then there are idolaters. Not, Not atheists. It's idolaters because they worship something else whether it's their own intellect, whether it's their ability, whether it's the ability of science or technology to deliver me. We all worship something, and there is always a continual battle for us to turn our eyes away from God. Okay? The other thing is this. Because of that, because of the first statement, it is imperative that the Christian, at the beginning of their pursuit to understand what true worship is, gets it clear that the object of our worship is to be God and God alone. As you think about how you would design a worship service, how do we focus our attention upon God? Because God indwells all of us. He indwells us as a body. He indwells us individually. He is seeking to direct us as a body and as individuals. How do we express that in our worship? Because truly we are the hands of God. We serve him. As Jesus' parable puts in a very dramatic fashion. Now, worship the Lord your God, the creator and judge of all creation. This is the other thing about worship that really stuns me. Is that, that... Worship clearly divides people, and we'll see that as we move on in here. So, Psalm 96. One of the other things about me is that I want to tell you right now, because I've had a lot of encouragement 
from people just this morning even, encouraging me uh, with regard to the gifts that the Lord has given me and my abilities. And I want to thank them, but also I have to tell you that I recognize a lot of my own shortcomings, and I asked Dawson if he could change the readings for this morning so I could put uh, more of the scripture in here that I had planned to read in the normal readings. The only trouble was is that I asked them on Saturday. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, so I have to admit to you that we're reading a little bit more than what I thought we would simply because I wasn't on the ball to get it in fast enough. And I had a long time to prepare for this. It's not like I do this every week, right? But I love this psalm. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Look at this one. And I want to ask you, do you connect, or would you, if you were asked, connect the concepts that are in these next verses from Psalm 96? Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Do you connect those concepts? Rejoicing, you know, hands waving, yes, Lord, come, and judgment? Okay. <laughs> the psalmist does, because it will be equitable. Now, it's the other thing. Now, please hear me correctly. I have no problem praying for Syria, and I hope that democracy does come to Syria. But I want to ask you this question. Do you think worshiping the God of the universe and democracy will unite one day? Do you? If you think of God and his position in the universe, we would not connect it with democratic rule, my friends. And if we did, we are either warping one concept or the other. Okay? Now, that doesn't... <laughs> the problem is, is that the form of rule that God wants to bring has been warped by people on this earth. Okay? And let me also say that I don't believe anywhere does Scripture give us the authority to exercise uh, a compelling force upon other people. That is reserved for God alone. Okay? John 1 even connects it here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. You see the connection? We worship the God who created everything. Why is that foundational? Because he's the only one worthy to receive worship because of that. And here, Revelation 4. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then a little bit further on, look at this. He said in a loud voice, this is an angel, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. 
It is throughout the whole scripture from beginning to end. We worship the one who created everything. And that's why he is worthy. Now, but there's a second. There's also this side to it. We worship the Lord our God because he has delivered us. Right? There is, if you like, what theologians call the transcendent side. That is God way out there. God far above what we can understand in power and glory and might and wisdom. And then there is the, the in, uh, imminent side where he is right there with us. And this is the conversation I want us to drop in on. Oh, sorry. I'm going to work backwards now. Sorry. <laughs> From the book of Revelation back to the Old Testament. This is, this is fascinating. If you ever get your head, if you, if you can understand this uh, chapter, please come and tell me. Okay? Because I, I can't understand how the 24 elders who have crowns on their head ever get them on their heads in the first place. Right? Because we're told that when the four living creatures cry out holy, which they do continually, then the, then the elders take off their crowns and worship God. And I just, you know, that's what leads me to believe that that, that style of literature, apocalyptic, is trying to express something that you and I just cannot understand. We don't have the full picture. We couldn't grasp the full picture, right? But the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. In one of the songs today, we, we, it, it, it had a lot. It contained a lot of describing who we are in Christ. And one of them, the amazing thing, well, I don't think it is as amazing as what the line was in that song that when you consider it, that we are the righteousness of God. Because when I think of that, about that for myself, I'm going... Boy, did he have his work cut out uh, because of my sin to do that. That strikes me. It, it reminds me of, uh, actually of what Gloria said last week when she came to the vineyard and the worship would make her cry. And you know what? That's not unusual. In fact, I think what is more unusual is that we aren't weeping more often. Yeah. When we begin to consider what God has done for us, if it doesn't bring us to tears, then we don't have a heart. It's not alive. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and I skipped one out of here that talks about thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping. But you think about this in light of other passages in the New Testament. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Uh, if you want to shape what you think a worship service should look like, start in the book of Revelation with chapters 4 and 5. And work your way backwards. Now, this gets more to the 
to the, even uh, a deeper intimacy. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. He specifically came so that you and I could become children. He picked us. Far different, even, than you think of, if you are a parent, you think of your own children. I mean, I didn't pick my children. But I still love them. I'm sure they could say the same thing about me. (laughs) They weren't able to pick their father, but they still love me. And for that, I'm thankful. But this is the conversation I want us to focus on. Exodus 3. Now there are several conversations going on here. One between God and Moses. One between God and Pharaoh. We're not going to look at it, but eventually it shifts into God and the people of Israel, the redeemed ones. And if you, again, if you want to learn about worship, I really highly suggest you look at these passages. It stunned me. First of all, look at in Exodus 3. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Do you catch three things in there? First of all, where was Moses when God said this to him? Anybody? No, no, not in the, in the desert, right? He's out in the back 40, and he sees the burning bush. And like most folks, I always used to focus on the burning bush. Man, that's cool. Wouldn't I love to have that kind of experience? You know, doesn't that reveal kind of where we're at? You know, I want to have this experience of God. But what's the substance of it? God's, where God is present, it is holy. He's out in the middle of the desert. God's presence is revealed to him, and God says to him, this is a holy place. It's not where we're standing here. It's not this sanctuary of the church. It's not the building. It's where God's presence is. But look at the passage, where else is God's presence? I will be with you. That's what God says to us, to you, to me. I will be with you. So, folks, what does that make you? How should we act in light of that? If God's presence is with you, you are holy. Because he has made you holy. So how should I treat you? How should you treat me? How should we treat other people? God made them. He's the creator of them, right? Now, also, he gives them a direct sign. Because all of this is not so we can go, cool, Isn't that great? I experienced God. It's so that what? That when he redeems his people, they come back to the mountain and they what? Worship him. See, we tend to stop at the Exodus is about deliverance, about me being freed from what enslaves me. Well, it is that. But I am freed so that I can pursue what I was originally made for. 
which is to worship God. Okay. Now, Exodus 6. You keep going. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Now, first question is this. Is God limited by your emotional state or my emotional state? Is he? No. No. <laughs> not at all. Look at, look at what does it say about the people? Right? They didn't listen. Moses, I've heard it before. Show me the money. You know? Isn't it? No, they weren't rebellious. They were beaten down. They were oppressed. They were suffering. Okay? And God says, it doesn't matter what you are experiencing right now. I am going to deliver you. He made a promise. God didn't need an outside witness to verify that. Because of his own character, he will fulfill that promise. Now, notice another thing here, though, because this, my friends, is the scary part of it. Judgment will come when God's deliverance comes. It will divide people. It will divide and make a distinction, and we'll read that further on in here. He made a clear distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And with mighty acts of judgment, he judged all of the gods of of Israel, of Egypt, So, Exodus 8. This one is fascinating for us thinking about how to design a worship service. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. So this is a little bit further on. I I deliberately haven't tried to tie this into what plagues were happening because it would take even longer than what I am taking. So, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said to them, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. Notice that? Moses wants to determine the parameters of worship. People will tell this to you all the time. Oh, you want to worship God? Fine. Go ahead, worship God. Just, you know, don't talk about gender issues. Don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about sin, whatever you do. Mistakes, maybe, but not sin. You know, people want to define how we worship God. They always have and always will. We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. That's Moses' reply. Pharaoh said, I will let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. It's like, hang on. There's a struggle here, and there's a struggle in us. There's a struggle in our culture, which always wants to tell us how to worship, what we can and cannot talk about, or what we can and cannot do. And there is only one person who defines the parameters of worship. Why do you think everything was so detailed in the Old Testament? Why was the phrase, according to the pattern you received on the mountain, repeated over and over again in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus to Moses? Because God is the one who determines how we are to worship him, what it will look like, or what it should look like. Now, there's another tricky thing about it, though, is that We don't know what those details are. We have to seek it out. We have to work it out here amongst ourselves. 
So, when you do get that picture of the worship, your ideal worship service, first of all, gather a group of your friends who you know are believers and talk to them about it. And then when you together have got a picture of something you'd like to try, then go to Gordy. Okay? And you test it out on him. Okay? Now, let's move on. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. What do you see in this passage? That is, yeah, a don't mess with me. Yes, he, he is showing his strength. So just like that, don't mess with me. But what about his strength? What is he doing? Exactly. He is exercising restraint. Realize that, folks. In judgment, even in executing judgment, God does it with mercy. Can we say the same? You know, what's that bumper sticker? You know, Jesus, save me from your followers. No, I don't know what tradition you come from in your background, or if you do. I come from the Baptist tradition. We had a famous saying, you know, Baptists are the people who circle the wagons and shoot inward. (laughs) Right? We haven't been all that merciful. And yet here's God, where he's saying to Pharaoh, I could have wiped you off the earth. It would have been nothing for him to do it. And yet he's saying to them, look, let my people go. And folks, (laughs) this is still a couple plagues before the final Passover. Right? Mercy. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Pharaoh's officials said to him, Look, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh's own officials are coming to him and saying, Look, You know what? God may not have wiped us off the face of the earth, but he sure has wrecked things. Right? Not only that, look at what worship requires. Humility. Will we humble ourselves? Will we say, Lord, you know what? I don't know what I should be doing. And what I have done hasn't been the greatest piece of work. But if you direct me and you empower me, then I can do it. And isn't that the essence of what they say to the Lord? You know, if you don't go with us, don't send us there. That's from a little bit further on in the narrative. Quite a bit further on, but... Now, a couple of other things here. This is the one where we don't know all the details. Go, worship the Lord your God, but just who will be going... So there's two things happening here. Again, Pharaoh wants to enter into this sort of negotiation about worship. But there's a point here I want to 
another point I want to point out. We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. How inclusive is worship? Right? You know what? Now, as much as I have been in settings where the kids were there, young and old, everything from, you know, the ones in diapers up, and I know how chaotic that can become, I sometimes wonder about us separating kids' church and adult church, you know? As a matter of fact, you know, when you think of it, in the Old Testament, the clear instruction to parents is that when you're participating in these festivals and your kids say to you, you know, like, what's all this? Like, this is pretty weird stuff. What's going on here? Right? And then you're to explain it to them as the parent. You're to say, this is what this, is what this points back to, to this event. Well, how do we incorporate that in the way that we worship? I think it's, a, I think it's a, a huge area. Now, do I think that we should take care of younger ones in a slightly different way? Yeah, I do. But the point is, is at what point do we begin to include? This is all inclusive. Young, old, men, women, all that they own. Now, there's one for our culture today, hey? All that we own, our flocks, our herds. Now, we'd say at our Fords, our Chevys, you know, our Toyota, whatever it may be. I don't know how many Lexus owners are there here, you know. They're looking for you. You know, um, but everything. Now, but I want you to look at this. We will go with our, oh, did I go backwards? We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. I put the same verse in there. The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. And there are many religions that still do that. Go worship the Lord, even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds. Okay? Then finally, you must allow us Moses' reply, or God's reply to Pharaoh, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God, and until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. Now, back to what I've asked you to do repeatedly. Design your own worship service. Where are we going Where are we going? Okay. Hey, Paul, I knew I could count on you. <laughs> right. To the heavenly city. The city that cannot be shaken. We are living in something that can be shaken. Okay. So, do we know everything that there is to know about worship? Do you? I don't. But we are looking for it. And we are to do that, I believe personally, in a corporate sense, in a group. I don't go off in my own little closet and say, okay, aha, I've got it. And now I'm going to tell you exactly what it is and what you are to do. No. We come together to celebrate who God is, to what he's done. And we rely upon him that he will get us there. 
All right? Now, this is the final part in this conversation that what I said before, this is very dramatic, but I think it does picture what will happen at the end of the age. It separates between the Egyptians and the Israelites, between those who will humble themselves and seek God and those who resist God and will not worship him. Okay. This is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now, this is really interesting because we also need to go to chapter 12 because this is in the same conversation that Pharaoh and Moses have, the last one. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. There is a battle happening, and all the gods of our world, of our culture, just like they were in Egypt, will be judged one day. The question is, who are we going to be worshipping? Okay. Because, as we mentioned before, the only option is either that we worship God or we are idolatrous. Stunning things. I think they are serious reflections. And it is serious business because precisely of this. It is an image of what happens in the Old of, of what happens in the New Testament. When all the forces that are arrayed, that gather together to rebel against God, are finally crushed by God, and then his people will enter into his kingdom and worship him forever and enjoy him. We will enter into the kind of existence that we have never known, nor do we e can we even conceive what it looks like. Because how, how many of you have ever even had a vision of what perfection is, of what a world is like that is not under the curse of sin. I mean, even the creation, we're told, groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so that it can be released from the curse. Now, and here's what happened. Right? During the night... Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. Now, one of the most astounding things about it is that God makes this clear distinction. But if you read in the prophet Isaiah... In chapter 19, you overread something that is just astounding. And this is the thing about God, is that his judgment and his person should cause us to, to have a fear for him, to have a reverence for him that is on the border of us shaking. Okay? 
But his mercy astounds us. Because in Isaiah 19, you will read this. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Two of the major opponents of Israel in the Old Testament, Egypt, the ones that enslaved them and mistreated them for hundreds of years, and Assyria, one that that was single-handedly responsible for the deportation of the whole northern kingdom, the Lord prophesies through Isaiah that they will be included as his people, that worship him. His mercy extends to even those who oppress the people of God. Isn't that clear in the life of Paul? You know, as Alec brought out, you know, who was Paul persecuting? Do you remember? Yeah. He was persecuting the church. The Lord said, you are persecuting me personally. Right? It's amazing. So, what about worship? I want to put a little bit more detail into the definition that we've had. I believe worship, concisely put by Robert Weber, worship is a verb. It's not a noun. It's an action. It's something that we do. What do we do? We do this. We learn who God is. He is the creator. He is the judge. But he is also the redeemer and the deliverer. Okay? We need to acknowledge that. We need to celebrate it for what it's worth. For the fact that it is... We cannot put an estimate on the value of our salvation in God and in Christ. It's, we, we can't do it. We will spend eternity trying to figure out the value of what we have been given through Jesus, what he has purchased by his blood. And finally, we need to remember what God has done. We need to recall it. We need to to understand what's written in the Old Testament. But I think even more personally, we need to be able to recall how has God acted in your life? What has he delivered you from? I can still vividly recall when I was saved. Now, not all of you can. My wife can't. But she can vividly recall times in her life when God provided specifically for her. You know, it's uncanny the things that she has prayed for and what God has given. How, how, how much detail that he meets. Right? We need to be able to remember those things and tell one another about them. Preferably, the ones that I've experienced most recently. Okay? And especially, hopefully, as we begin to tell those and be a witness, which is what we're called to in evangelism, we're not called to you know, strong-arm people or win arguments, we're simply called to tell people what God has done in our lives. Right? Remember what God has done. Then we will truly worship him. And finally, we need to respond to God in obedience. What is he calling you to? What is he calling you to take up? What is he calling you to put down, to leave? Okay? I don't know what that is. But I know this, that there are certain things that you can tell if it is God working in your life. 
There will be a sense of peace about it. You will not be anxious. There will be a relief. I can still remember my mother's testimony that she said that when she was saved, she felt as though somebody had lifted a weight right off of her shoulders. Physically. It will have that kind of response in your body. And I've seen that over and over again many times and heard it from other people. Okay? But then, more importantly, it will direct you to serve other people. You won't focus on yourself. You will focus on others. Chili wagon, great example. Right? Someone being delivered and then someone feeling a compassion toward others who have not yet experienced that. Right? That's what building that relationship is about. So, let's stand. I want to pray this prayer over us and it is found in Hebrews. And just one more thing before we go. One of the most predominant instructions that Paul gives to Timothy and others in the New Testament about Christian worship is this, is, is to read the scriptures. You know, to publicly read them. Out loud, together, the way we do. So, Father, we pray this together. May the God of peace... Brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing, doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I thank you, Lord, for what you have provided for us, what you will continue to do through us, And I ask that your spirit would be upon us, that you would clearly show us where we are to humble ourselves so that you can lift us up. And we thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.